Welcome to the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. Due to the rate of unnecessary C-sections, the lack of support, and limited options for VBAC moms in the hospital, more and more women are choosing to have their VBAC babies at home. This podcast was created for women to share and listen to stories of home birth after cesarean. I'm your host, Rachel Garrett. Today we are chatting with Karina. So Karina, if you just want to start us off with a little bit of an intro, tell us about yourself. Uh, My name is Karina Arlent and I am a 39-year-old mother of three. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Uh, My husband and I just recently sold our home and our businesses in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we moved our children to a very small farm outside of Missoula, Montana. Wow. Big transition. Yes. Huge. And um, so exciting. We want what my husband calls free range kids. We want them to be able to just go and enjoy the farm and love life and be outside. He grew up in Montana and he loved his childhood here. And the kids are so cooped up in the city. So here we are. Well, if you just want to take us back to wherever your journey began, just start us off. Nice. Okay. So, um, When I was 21 years old, I became pregnant with my son and I was in school to become a nurse. I was working at the hospital where my son was born at and um, I had complete faith in the medical industry. I was very young and I uh, followed the doctors and everything just blindly. I, I had complete faith in them. So that's where I started. So it was a pretty easy pregnancy. Um, I just had some morning sickness, but um, all in all, I went really well. And I liked my doctor a lot. Um, and the labor was was the most difficult part of the pregnancy, actually. <laughs> so um, it was July 19th, 2003. And I was working a 10-hour shift in the emergency room, my normal shift. And I had been having contractions all day long. And so when I got off work, I ran upstairs to labor and delivery and had them check me. And, you know, I was excited and anxious and young new mom. And, um, they said it was only a two. So they gave me a shot of narcotics. And of course I was like, yep, give me all the drugs. I'm ready. You know? And they sent me home and a couple hours later, the narcotics wore off. So I was up all night laboring and I went back to the hospital around 7am and I was only dilated to a three when I got there. So they broke my water and put me on Pitocin right away, you know, get the, get things moving. And, um, I remember the labor getting super intense after they broke my water and put me on Pitocin. It, um, it was a totally new ball game at that point for me. So the anesthesiologist was stuck in surgery. So I labored like that for the next eight hours and I, remember just clenching to the side of the bed and screaming and all of the breathing techniques and everything that I had learned in my birthing class was just gone. I didn't have any of that in my brain at that time. And I didn't know the importance of mind over matter and um, your birth team, you know, just strong, calm birth team is huge, which I know now I did not know it then. Um, so by the time I got my epidural, I had completely wore myself out. I was dilated to a seven and, um, had, you know, 
not done the breathing techniques or the calming exercises and I was just done. So I slept for the next five hours. And then, um, when I woke up, they, it was time to push and, uh, they took away my epidural at that point because they said that I couldn't push hard enough to get him out. So, um, he was posterior, the sunny side up. So that's harder. I didn't know again at the time, all the things I've learned doing research after my births. So I pushed for four hours and then the doc finally used a vacuum to get him out. And, uh, he was six pounds, 10 ounces. So he was a pretty little baby. And, um, they, they said he had a fever and they rushed him off. I didn't get to do skin to skin or anything like that. And I was bleeding, um, a lot from pushing for four hours. So they gave me a shot in my leg. And I remember feeling uh, very scared. The doctor seemed scared and I could feel that energy right away. And I didn't know where the baby was. They rushed him off and it was all very intense and um, frightening at the time. So after that, uh, the doc told me if I ever had a baby any bigger than him, that it would automatically have to be a C-section because he was stuck on my pelvic bone is what she said. And, um, I wouldn't be able to birth a baby any bigger than that. So that is where my insecurities about my body and its ability to, um, birth a baby began like that sunk in hard. And it was always a fear in my brain that I would just have to have a C-section if I had any bit a baby any bigger and he was pretty little. <laughs> so it was definitely where all my misunderstandings about the birthing process began. Well, especially when someone's telling you that after everything that happened, that's very scary. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, there's no surprise that that sunk in and it almost, it just becomes part of your subconscious and what you think. So then how, how was that postpartum period for you? Um, the postpartum was okay. Again, um, I would say the support you have around you is so important afterwards. So, um, uh, it was hard. I mean, my body recovered fairly quickly. I was very young, but emotionally it was very difficult and figuring out motherhood and and being insecure about my own abilities, about nursing and everything. It's um, first baby's difficult. So um, health-wise, it was okay. I mean, I recovered okay. So. so then how long after that birth did you get pregnant with your second baby? Well, um, I'll go into a little bit of backstory because it was, there's 14 years between my children. <laughs> but that was always in my brain. I kind of... I think went fear-based and thought that I wouldn't have any more kids, to be honest with you, because there was a lot there. Uh, about three years after I gave birth to my son, my sister gave birth to a full-term stillborn baby girl. Um, it was very devastating for her and the whole family. And it added a whole lot of fear around childbirth and pregnancy for everybody that was connected to my sister. It's very intense. Um, and she got pregnant about six weeks later. And when they ran extra tests, they found the G mutation MTHFR. 
and it goes hand in hand with blood clotting disorders. Um, so her OBGYN referred her to a hematologist who put her on blood thinner injections for both of her pregnancies following her stillborn. And I listened to all of her fears um, as the OBGYN and the hematologist had very different opinions about what was safe during pregnancy um, with her regarding her blood thinners. And this all added to my fears about pregnancy and childbirth a lot. Um, so that was kind of all in there. And then when my son was three, I got divorced and I convinced myself I was done having babies, that it was all too scary. And um, my life was definitely ran by the fear of that. So um, fast forward to 2015, at 33 years old, I married the love of my life. And he had had a vasectomy many years before that. Um, and a couple years after we got married, uh, just after my 35th birthday, of course, that clock was ticking. <laughs> and I had had a little bit too much wine. And I finally admitted to myself and to him that I really wanted more babies, even though I was scared. So two months later, he had a vasectomy reversal. And we started trying right away. So I made an appointment with the only OBGYN that was contracted with my insurance at the time. Uh, right off the bat, she started shaming me for my age and saying how long it was going to take us to get pregnant because of the vasectomy reversal. So she listened to me talk about uh, my rough delivery and with my firstborn and all of my sister's painful past with her pregnancies. Um, so that played a big part in how our relationship was built from the very beginning. So uh, four months later, we got pregnant with my daughter, Roslyn. We call her Rose. And um, from day one with this new OB, she was pushing for a C-section right away. Despite um, my desire to have a vaginal birth, I really um, kept putting that out there that I wanted to try, at least try. Um, she ran the extra blood work because of my sister, and she found the MTHFRG mutation in my blood work as well. So um, she had already set me up with the high-risk doctor due to my age, and um, he talked a lot about my history with my sister and her Lovenox injections and what she endured, and he talked to me a lot about my fears, and I really felt heard by him. I, I liked him so much. And I was so grateful that he was involved in my prenatal care with Rose. Um, unfortunately, the way the system is set up, he could not deliver my baby. It had to be my um, OB that would be the one that would deliver the baby. So um, after we went through everything, he recommended that I take a baby aspirin instead of doing the blood thinner injections um, as a preventative. And he said, because my body was clearly capable of having a successful pregnancy that that's what he would be most comfortable with. He didn't want to put me on the drugs if it wasn't necessary. So um, despite my OBGYN's constant fear-mongering <laughs> that something was wrong with me, uh, I had a very uneventful pregnancy. We, I would go see the OB and she would scare me a little bit and I would try and, and she would be trying to convince me to book the C-section. And um, then I would go see the high-risk guy and he'd be like, your numbers look great. You look awesome. The baby looks great. And he always made me feel better. And it was really confusing. 
because they had very different opinions. And it's very easy for me to attach to that fear. You know, I would see her and she would be like, you need a C-section, the baby's big, you know, on and on. And I'd be going, oh my gosh, she's right. You know, I'm, this is so scary. Well, and for someone in, I guess what we would consider a place of authority, someone who's an expert supposed to know all of the things about all of the things, when you hear that, it's, of course, you get scared and you attach to that because you love your baby. You don't want anything to happen to your baby. And when someone's telling you, you need to do this, this, and this, otherwise something could happen to your baby, no one's going to be like, no, I'm good. That's okay. I'm going to do it my own way. Yeah. So that it's it's crazy how different opinions can be between different providers like that. Yeah. And it's, it's very confusing as a woman, you know, and you want to trust them and believe they have your best interest at heart. Um, and it's hard if you get different opinions. <laughs> I wish I was the person that could attach to the easier one and go, oh, that guy says I'm great. I'm great. <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> right. So, um, although I would say that uh, I am becoming that person more and more. So that helps. So, um At the 30-week appointment, that OB, she tried to get me on the calendar for my C-section, and I declined. And then again, at the 39-week appointment, she tried. And at my 40-week appointment, she compromised with a scheduled induction. And she said she was not comfortable with me going beyond 42 weeks. And I had read that from everyone, you know, all over, that the doctors don't let you go past 42 weeks. You have to get induced. So she uh, never really made me feel like it was a choice or that I was making an informed decision. It was very much, this is what she said we were doing. So um, she had originally told me we'd schedule it for 41 weeks. And then all of a sudden it was, she was leaving town and she needed to schedule the induction for a couple of days out. So at 40 weeks uh, and two days, I went into the hospital for my scheduled induction with Rose. Um, it was January 22nd, 2018, and I got there at 7.30 p.m. And they inserted a drug that they call Cervidil around 9 p.m. And uh, by 3 a.m., I was dilated to a seven. So my body was ready, I guess. Um, and I got the epidural and I'm pretty sure they gave me a Pitocin drip. They had the IV in, we didn't talk about it, but later on when I thought about it, I am pretty sure that Pitocin was involved in that as well. Um, it's very confusing at the hospital. They just do things, you know, and it's not really a like, Hey, let's talk about this. And here's the side effects. And why don't you think about that? (laughs) And then we'll do it. It's, they just do it. And you feel like they are in charge of your birth. Again, you are not in charge. That authority figure or the person who knows best or is the expert. And I mean, even if they don't, I mean, anyone's capable of researching different things and learning about yeah. different things, but that's the way that it's set up in a hospital. It's there's there's those layers of you have the nurse and then you have the charge nurse and then you have a resident and then you have the OB attending. And yeah, it's it's hard especially when you're in labor, you're in a place of vulnerability, you it's hard to advocate for yourself or I mean, even 
you talk about informed choice, that's huge. I mean, you, you have to have those conversations and those conversations don't always happen in a hospital setting. And it's super unfortunate. Yeah. I never felt like I had that kind of setting ever (laughs) where they wanted to talk to me and let me know what was going on or what the consequences could be. It was just, this is the next step. This is what we do now. Had you done any like type of birth prep or labor prep or anything like that in between those two pregnancies? So I did find um, a group in Las Vegas called Well-Rounded Mama. And it is eventually where I found my midwife. And I did my prenatal yoga classes there. And um, my husband and I took a vaccine class there. So I had um, done all the the classes again, I guess, um, newborn care and everything. And I appreciated doing them there. I felt like it was much more of a well-rounded set of information. It wasn't just, this is what we do. Um, they, they gave me all the information and made me feel like I was capable. And one of the things I remember from the class was you, you think you need all of these things when you have your baby, you need the chair and you need the crib and you need all these things. But in reality, it could be you and your husband and your baby on an Island somewhere and you would survive. You're fine. You just need you. Your body comes pretty well equipped to take care of a baby. (laughs) Yep. That stuck with me. I remember it like, oh yeah, I don't need all the fancy stuff. Mm -hmm. That's not, my baby doesn't need that. She just needs me. So then take us back. So you're at the hospital and, and laboring. I I got my epidural at 3 a.m. I was at a seven and, um, at 8 a.m. My OB came in and she said I could start pushing and she let me push through one contraction. And then she said, my baby wasn't coming down and she would come back in a little bit. So she came back about a half hour later and she let me push through two more contractions. And then she said that she needed to do the C-section because my baby was not coming down and we didn't want a repeat of Tristan's birth where I pushed for four hours and bled and, and it was scary. Um, so I started to cry and I asked her if I could think about it for a little bit longer and if I could try to push a little bit longer. And, uh, she informed me that she, that I was only one of four inductions that she had scheduled that day and that she was leaving town and she didn't have time to wait for me to do that. So, um, at that time, like, like you said, she was the authority figure. (laughs) Um, I was very upset and just asked time for, to process it. And she stormed out. She was very irritated with me when she left and she came back shortly after maybe 20 minutes and said that my baby's heart rate had dropped and that the baby was in distress. And she looked at the nurse and said, this is an emergency C-section and we're doing it now. And my husband, I mean, I was out of it. I was in labor, but later my husband was like, that nurse looked just as shocked as we did. She didn't know what was going on either. (laughs) Well, and clearly that OB had some sort of agenda. Yeah. I mean, to, to, to use, well, I'm going out of town. I can't be there. And then to only push 
a handful of times. I mean, of course your baby's not moving down significantly if you've only pushed a couple of times. Right. But when you're in labor, Mm -hmm. you just, I mean, you're in pain, you're drugged up, you're out of it. And that fear, like you said, when they say your baby's not okay, I mean, you, you believe them and you trust them and you know that they want you to be safe. And I, I mean, I do think that I I don't think she was trying to put us in any danger by any means. And I think she was pushing for the C-section the whole time. She knew she was going to do it and she did it. Wow. So, Yeah. And all the research I did afterwards about the induction and I guess Cervidil is one of those things that you are way more likely to have a C-section if they use Cervidil to induce you because they can't stop it. With Pitocin, if your body's not responding well, they can stop the drip. But with Cervidil, it's done. You're you're going. And if the baby doesn't respond well, then yes, you end up with a C-section. So So then walk us through what that C-section looked like and then the immediate postpartum time afterwards. So the anesthesiologist, he gave me a big old dose of drugs because it was emergency. I mean, it was scary. Everyone was like running and I was going in and out of consciousness at that point because he drugged me up so good. And I remember crying and feeling terrified and laying there on the table, looking at my husband and I kept saying like, oh, I feel sick. And then I'd be like, pass out and then come back. And, um, all of a sudden the doctor yelled, she's here all happy, (laughs) you know? And, um, I was losing track of time so much that I remember falling asleep for what I thought was like a half hour. And I woke up and the baby still wasn't crying. So I got super scared, but in reality, it was only like 30 seconds, but I thought it was this big chunk of time. And I got really scared and I begged my husband to go to the baby instead of staying with me. And, you know, he's just sitting there with giant eyeballs, like, okay. (laughs) So he goes across the room to the baby where the nurses were cleaning her up and stuff. And, um, it, uh, it really scared him. He, he saw what he describes as his wife's insides pulled out on the table. (laughs) And he was definitely just as traumatized by that C-section as I was. Uh, he was, he was pretty upset by, by that scene at the time. So, um, afterwards they, you know, wrapped her up and handed her to him and wheeled me in the bed to the room. And I was still really out of it. And I remember Rose laying in the little plastic bassinet thing in our room underneath the heat lamp. And she was like completely naked and alone. And I was laying in the bed. My husband had been doing skin to skin with her And he ran out to the car to get something for me. And the nurse took her and put her there and she left the room. And I remember watching her like across the room and like wanting to go pick her up. And I couldn't. I was like shaking and vomiting and I couldn't go get my baby. So that's where she was, you know. And he came back soon and he was, he's definitely a believer in, more natural is better, you know, and he scooped her up and they did skin to skin, but I missed out on that with her. Definitely a painful thing, very intense and something you wouldn't know or understand until you do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, of course, there are C-sections that 
do save lives and that are emergencies and that are very important. I don't think that I know a single person who would ever deny that, but with, with certain situations and, and having things pushed on you, not having those conversations, not feeling like you get to have a choice in the type of care that you're receiving, that it, it just, it is traumatizing. I mean, there's no other word to describe it because you feel like things are being done to you. You, you don't have a part in what is going on. And I think a lot of people don't see the long-term effects of that and what that type of trauma can do, not only to like your emotional state, but just like how you are as, as a mother and how you go home as a family. And so many people like to use the phrase, oh, healthy baby, healthy mom. And like on a, on a physical aspect, yes, you, you might be a healthy baby and a healthy mom, but it goes so much deeper than that. There's so much more to it than that. Yes. 100%. Yep. That's so, something you hear that OBs say, you know, like, well, we just want, we take the baby out and they're, we know they're healthy and they're okay. And it's like to push for the C-section. My sister-in-law just recently had a C-section and I couldn't tell her, I couldn't warn her. Her doctor was pushing the whole time. She was nervous about it. And I couldn't even explain it to her. And that's what her doctor said. In the end, all that matters is that the baby is out and healthy. It doesn't matter how the baby gets here. And she attached to that. And then after the C-section, she was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I let myself get bullied into that, you know? And I hear that narrative a lot, a lot. Yeah. So then tell us about the transition back home after all of that and what that extended postpartum time looked like. Um, Well, I was on the painkillers, which I hated. They made me feel loopy and sick. I I hate being on drugs <laughs> and, uh, I couldn't sleep without them and I couldn't like lay down flat on the bed. It was, that was very scary. I would go to lay down and then I couldn't get myself back up. I didn't have any ability at all. And I remember like laying down and then starting to cry. And my husband's like, what's going on? I'm like, I can't get out of bed. I literally physically cannot get up. And that's a scary feeling. And, um, my feet, I was wearing socks at one point and my feet slipped on the floor. I went to sit down on the toilet and my feet slipped and I couldn't, I didn't have the strength to pull my feet back together. I couldn't stand up. So he went and bought me socks with like little plastic things on the bottom of them for grip so that I could pee in the middle of the night. Like it was insane how, how much more debilitated I was than when I gave birth to my son. So, um, luckily my son was 14 at the time and had been wanting to be a big brother his whole life. And he was all about it. My husband did have to go back to work about a weekend, but my son, he fed me, he helped with the baby. I mean, he was amazing and just loved helping me. So I did at least have good support through it. And that's important too. Oh my goodness. So important. And I, you know, I would have insisted that my husband take more time off work if I would have known, but I just, I was clueless. I had no idea how different it was going to be and how much more help I would need through that recovery process. So, and I think people forget too, a C-section is sometimes presented as like the easy option. You, you just have a C-section, that's it. And then the baby's out and the baby's born, but it's a major abdominal surgery. I mean, your body has to recover from that and you have to have the time and the support and 
I mean, it's huge. It's not, it's not as quick and easy as so many people perceive it to be. And obviously yeah. those of us who have had C-sections know that having gone through the recovery, but I, I think that that's something that gets underplayed a lot of times. Yeah. And it's hard enough to take care of a newborn baby. You're exhausted. You're in recovery. Like it's, it changes your whole world and is amazing and wonderful and the hardest thing you will ever do. So to add surgery on top of that is just, oh, it's just too much, too much to do by yourself for sure. Absolutely. So then how, how long after your daughter was born, did you get pregnant with your third child? So we started trying, um, for baby number three in August of 2019. So my daughter was like two and, um, almost two. And we got pregnant on our first cycle trying, which unfortunately was a chemical pregnancy. And then we waited one cycle in between to try again. And um, we got pregnant right again or right away again in October of 2019. Um, And it was it was my 38th birthday. So we had talked a lot about what we wanted for this birth. And um, we vowed to each other that we wouldn't be bullied by another doctor. I went to uh, my sister-in-law's doctor at the time. She really liked her, the one that had bullied her into a C-section after all of this. But she said, automatic repeat C-section. There is no, you are not even going to try to give birth to this baby. So, um, and my OB that had done the C-section originally, she had said the same thing to me. Like, if you have another baby, it's an automatic C-section. So with both of them saying that my husband and I were like, "Mm, like that, what do we, what do we do? You know, is this what every doctor is going to tell us? We don't know what to do here. So, um, my husband said, you know, what if you go back to well-rounded mama and talk to one of the midwives and, uh, that made me very nervous. I had never, I've never experienced home birth in any way. No one in my family, like it is just not a thing that I had been exposed to, but I always was really comfortable, um, at well-rounded mama. It felt safe. And I had seen a woman there that did Reiki sessions for me, um, when I was trying to release my fears of pregnancy and birth when I was pregnant with Rose. So, um, she is a midwife and I thought, well, I can go, just go talk to her, you know, and see what she says. And so we went together and, uh, it was calming and wonderful. And I felt, I mean, she sat there with me for an hour and talked and I felt like she saw me as a person and what I wanted. And at the doctor's office, they always told me I had high blood pressure. And it was like, yeah, that makes sense <laughs> because this place is stressful and scary. And I felt anxious every time I went to the doctor and with the midwife, it was the opposite. I would feel anxious and then I would talk to her and then I would feel confident and calm and capable and like, oh, it, this is okay. And she's going to take care of me. So. Um, Unfortunately, that pregnancy ended in a miscarriage on December 15th at 10 weeks. 
And uh, the midwife again was wonderful. And um, just this like calming presence through all of that. She was so reassuring and kind and she didn't make me feel like I was broken. And as a woman, it's such an easy thing to take on in motherhood that like, oh, I had to have a C-section because I'm broken. I couldn't give birth to my son without a vacuum because I'm broken. I, I can't do this. And um, I tell every woman who tells me they're pregnant now, do you like your doctor? Do you feel safe? Because that is what you need. You need somebody that tells you you're not broken, <laughs> that you can do this and that women have been doing this forever. And you don't need a C-section to have a baby, a baby that's healthy, you know? So uh, we decided not to wait again to try after that miscarriage. My husband said, you know, if your body's not ready, your body knows. You won't get pregnant if your body's not ready. And I was scared, but I was always going to be scared. So we got pregnant again um, on New Year's Eve, two weeks later. And I went back to the midwife and I asked her for recommendations for a pro VBAC doctor. Because in my brain, I thought if I see the midwife and I have a doctor, then I've got all bases covered. You know, she, if I say the doctor's recommending a C-section and I present it to her, she can give me her background on that and why she thinks that that would be a good idea or not a good idea. Because I didn't feel prepared to fight that fight for my own VBAC. Like, I just didn't know. So... Um, I loved the doctor she recommended. He's the only doctor or their group, their medical group was the only one that works with midwives in Las Vegas. Nobody else will work with the midwives and do care with them. Um, so he was a perinatal specialist is what he's called. Um, in my midwife's world, she doesn't consider me high risk just for being over 35. She wouldn't have insisted that I go to a high risk guy. I was anxious and nervous from my previous experience and like, oh, I'm 38. I'm so scared. Um, so I did see him for that reason that I was quote high risk, but according to her, that's not a thing. <laughs> and they, but they scare you so much with that. They, you know, my original OB with my daughter, it was instantly the talk of geriatric pregnancy, you know, I hate that term. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Hate it. It's like, okay, I'm only 35. And you're right. If your body can't do it, it won't do it. But it's, it sinks in there. You know, that guilt that you're going to hurt your baby because you decided to have a baby at 35 years old or 38 years old. So, um, I, I really liked him though. The guy, the perinatal specialist, I always walked out feeling well-informed and in charge of my choice. And he said he absolutely would not induce VBACs, that he is pro VBAC, but the best way to get your VBAC is no induction. And my midwife very much put in my brain that uh, no interventions at all is the best way to get your VBAC, that you have to let your body do its process in its own time. So that one sunk in a lot over those nine months that I was seeing both of those specialists, you know, and I felt very confident in both of them. Um, so 
did you and your husband do anything to help process the whole experience of the C-section that you had leading up to this, the birth of your third child? We both did a lot of research on our own. And um, because I wasn't confident in the home birth yet, we watched a lot of documentaries and we read books and we did the birthing class with my midwife that was all natural birth. So um, the one that really got me was the business of being born. It makes sense how women end up with C-sections and feeling rushed at the hospital. You know, they are a business and insurance only pays for a certain amount of time. And their job is to get you in and get you out. And they don't have time to wait for you to labor the way that your body needs for you to have a birth on your own. I think that that's a documentary that every single woman who is pregnant or planning to be pregnant should watch. That was that was a game changer for me too. Yeah. Yeah, right? Like I was like not we're not doing the home birth. <laughs> we're not. And my husband was so adamant that he just he wanted me to have an open mind about it, you know? And that he was so scared that if we went back to the hospital, it would just happen we would just have a C-section. It would just end up that way and we would have no control over it. And so that Pregnant in America was another good one that I got. And then um, I read Birthing from Within and Ina May's Guide to Childbirth and the Hypnobirthing book. And all of those built my confidence that I was able to do this and um, still terrified, but (laughs) not um, to where it was like, oh, I just have to go schedule my repeat C-section and that's where we're going. You know, it, it definitely helped build my confidence to do all that with, with my husband as my support and with my midwife and even with the doctor telling me like, yes, you can try for a VBAC. Here's the re- the things that I'm comfortable with, with that. Um, so I knew right away, he again was the, you can't go past 42 weeks. Um, and if, I won't induce you, but we will schedule the C-section if you go past 42 weeks. So that of course made me so anxious and, um, it's, you're sitting there your last month of pregnancy, just waiting, right? Like, am I going to go over that 42 weeks and then they're going to pressure me. And, and the midwife again was like, that's not a thing. (laughs) Your body is fine. It's got this. You're okay. So what, what ended up pushing you? to doing the home birth then? At 34 weeks, I started bleeding. Um, I was very traumatized from the miscarriage and got super scared. And I went into the hospital and every single person, every nurse, every doctor for the two days that I laid there in that bed, broke my confidence back down. Reschedule, schedule a C-section. Why in the world would you be thinking about doing a home birth? You have a midwife. You can't do that. I mean, all of them, it was so intensely, it was just ingrained in them. And not that I judge them at all, because that is the medical industry and the hospital setting. And like two of my nurses told me they just had a C-section with their first babies. They're young in their twenties. And, you know, like, Oh, I was here and I just had my baby and I had a C-section and it was fine. And it was like, Oh my goodness. 
and they're at peace with it. And that's, I'm, that's totally fine. Like if you're at peace with that, that's great. I'm, I'm not for me, you know? So I just felt so bullied again and I wasn't even having the baby yet. And the bleeding stopped really quick. It was like two hours, but I had to stay in the hospital for two days and I was miserable in there. And my husband was at home with our toddler. He couldn't be there with me. It was like, he makes me feel safe and secure. And the midwife made me feel safe and secure. And the nurses and the doctors made me feel awful. They just did. Not on purpose. They were doing their job. (laughs) But it's just not what worked for you. No, yes, absolutely. And I had read that and seen that so many times too, that you have to feel safe to give in order for your body to give birth. So if you feel safest in the hospital setting, then that's where you should be. If you feel safest at your home, then that's where you should be. And that makes a lot of sense to me. You just need to feel safe. Absolutely. And that's different for everyone. And that's okay. Yes, totally. And that's okay. It's hard to embrace, to know what is safest for you and to embrace it and be confident with it. You know, my family was definitely terrified and not supportive. And it was hard for me to say, yes, we're still thinking about a a home birth (laughs) instead of the hospital. And what I did, what I said after that was I am going to labor at home as long as I possibly can with my midwife. And if I get to the point where I feel like I need to go to the hospital, I will go to the hospital. It's five minutes away. I absolutely will. And she's a doula. So I had my contract signed. She could go with me to the hospital. Not, I wouldn't get bullied into the C-section that way. Like I felt very good about that plan. And it was, it was in my brain too. Like, I know that I can go to the hospital and that helped my family. I didn't just say, I'm just doing a home birth. Leave me alone. You know, it was like, I, I have this plan. This is my plan. And I have all my bases covered. I have the doctor. I have midwife. The hospital's not an hour away. It's right here. We're okay. So that's where, yeah, that's where we ended up with that. So, so then how did your labor start? So my labor was long (laughs) as far as like, I, I learned a lot about natural childbirth. I was having so many contractions two nights. It had woke me up in the middle of the night and I thought, oh, this is it. And then it fizzled out. So I feel like with my son, the same thing. And I had gone to the hospital and said like, this is it. And they were like, great, we're putting you on drugs and get this thing moving. But really my body needed more time to do that. It wasn't ready. So I absolutely learned that with this birth that it take, it took days and I wasn't in constant pain for days. It was that I had a lot of contractions and they built and they built And then my body stopped and let me rest for a while. And then it started again. So um, I had an appointment with my doctor, the perinatal specialist at uh, 38 weeks and two days. And I'd been having super intense contractions the night before. And the nurse checked me and her eyes got huge. And she said, you're at a four like this baby's coming. She said, I can feel the bag of waters. I can feel his head and I can break the waters right now if you want to get this thing moving. And, um, I was determined to not have any interventions at all because that's what I took away from it. If I have interventions, I'm going to get a C-section. So I was like, Nope, 
I'm going home. Thank you. I'm glad you're excited. I'm excited. I'm going home. So uh, that night I woke up around 1030 with extremely intense contractions. And by three, uh, they were five minutes apart, lasting for a minute for over an hour, which was my midwife's guideline. And I couldn't walk or talk through them. Uh, so I called the midwife and I called the birthing pool company and they came and set up my birthing pool. And it was about 3.30, I guess, when the midwife got there and around five when the pool got there. So as they were setting up the pool, I lay down with my husband and the contraction slowed and they slowed and they slowed and I fell asleep even. And at 6 a.m. they were like gone. My midwife was down there, the pool, like everyone's waiting. And I was felt so discouraged. And she said, rest and call me. This is happening. We just need to give your body time. It's okay. So um, all day, I like, they'd come and they'd go. And I was just waiting. And my family was waiting. My brother came and picked up my daughter. And they were all like, yeah, it's happening now. And I think that is the expectations everyone has for birth. You watch it in the movies, like, oh, your water breaks. And then the baby's there an hour later. And that is not true. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> right? Not at, at least all. Not usually. <laughs> but when that's in your brain, that's how you get bullied as well. Because you go to the hospital and it's 12 hours later and they're like, your baby needs to be here now. And you think that that's true. And it is not true at all. So, um, my husband and I took walks that day and I ate spicy food and, you know, like I was ready. And, uh, my brother brought, brought my daughter back about 9 PM and he's like, I can keep her. And I said, no, it's okay. You know, like we'll know we'll, we'll have time obviously. So 10 o'clock PM, same thing, woke up with contractions, couldn't sleep. Um, and at 3 AM they were to the point where I couldn't walk or talk and a minute apart lasting for a minute. So um, I called my midwife at 3.30 again, and I said, I am so sorry, but I really think <laughs> that, this, that now it's happening. So she got there about 5 a.m., and luckily the birthing pool, they give you three days with the rental. So it was just there and ready. Uh, when she got there, we were in the birthing pool, and I labored in and out of the water until about 10 a.m., and then I got really scared. I just became terrified and the contractions were right on top of each other. I didn't have a break at all. And I just remember feeling scared. And um, I had read about transition, but in it, I, I wasn't, it wasn't in my brain. I was just scared. So I kept telling my midwife and she would so be so calm and just say, I'm scared of honey, your baby looks great. You look great. You're doing great. And I'd be like, I don't know what I'm scared of. I'm just scared. Um, and I asked her, should we go to the hospital? You know, I'm scared. And she was like, well, we can get in the car and you can go to the hospital and you can have your baby or you can just have your baby because he's he's doing so well. So um, I kept like pacing and I couldn't sit in the tub anymore. I could not sit at all. I couldn't sit on the birth ball. She kept trying to, you know, if you can lay down in between contractions and rest, I couldn't, my body would not let me sit down, lay down, nothing. It makes sense now why it's not okay to lay down in a hospital bed to give birth to your baby. Like my body wouldn't let me. It was like, you need to stand. <laughs> You're not laying down. 
she did say, can I, can I check? Can we see where we're at? You know? So they did get me to lay down to check and it was so extremely difficult. Um, but I was fully dilated and the waters were popping out. And she said, you know, I know you don't want any interventions. If you just try and push your water will probably break. So sure enough, I pushed one time and my water broke like right away. So that was helpful. My son was sunny side up, which she didn't know when I had the appointment with the doctor two days before that he was in the right position and he had switched. So, um, which really helped build my confidence. Like, Hey, I birthed another baby sunny side up this time, completely (laughs) drug-free. So, um, you know, I was pushing for a long time and again, I looked at her and I said, I'm scared. And, um, she looked me in the eyes and she said, you know, you're right. This is hard and it is scary, but you can do hard things. And this is not Rose's birth. This baby is healthy and he is good. And you are going to push him out. So, you know, the whole, this is not Rose's birth. Like that will stick with me forever. And she, she built me up and told me I could do it. And every doctor had told me I couldn't. (laughs) So, um, at about noon, so I pushed for about an hour and a half, uh, Cooper was born on September 10th. So four months ago now, I remember his head was born and she looked at my husband. He was to my right holding my leg and she was like, okay, you're up, you know, and they switched spots and he caught him as he says caught because he just came flying out after that. (laughs) He's like, he was so slippery and he was just glowing. I mean, I will never forget that. Um, Laboring with him as my person, him catching the baby, him holding me up when I was laboring, it connected us on this totally different level. And it's something we had never experienced when you labor with strangers, you're not safe because you can tell yourself it's okay and you're safe, but your body speaks a totally different language. And he, he is my calm. He's an extreme, extremely calm human being at all times. And him being there, you know, telling me I can do it and supporting me was huge. Him and the midwife. It was just such a different experience than all the strangers in the hospital. That support is sometimes what makes the difference too because like you said yeah you're you're telling your mind like okay this is fine i'm safe i can do this but your body doesn't understand that and there's such a big mind body connection during labor and birth that if you don't have that communication between the two or if your body doesn't feel safe because of course your body is going to respond better to the touch of your husband versus the touch of some random nurse that you've never met before or something like that so that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. In the cold, bright hospital or in your dark, quiet, safe space of your house, you know, so mm-hmm. that it does, it makes so much sense, but it's hard to explain to people. And it's hard to know until you've experienced it. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it. You know? So the recovery was so much easier. I mean, I was up and walking around a couple hours later and, um, we just were, I curled up on my couch with my baby and my husband and we're there, you know, 
and um, it felt so good to give that to to him, to the baby. Like, you're not going to be in the hospital poked and prodded and stabbed every two hours, and you get to be here with mama just right here. Nobody else is in your space, you know. It's just, um, it was amazing. Do you remember the the birth of the placenta? Um, it was a little, I was bleeding again because of, um, pushing for two hours. So they did have to help me a little bit. They were massaging my stomach and stuff. Um, but, um, I, I just basically remember the baby, my husband and the baby standing there, he was still attached, you know? So my husband was doing skin to skin and the, the midwife was massaging my stomach to help. And, um, it, it wasn't really memorable I guess it was just them it was just the boys there my boys right next to me is, is all I really remember you know and obviously you're focused on something else yeah. you're not always focused on okay now yeah. I have to get the placenta out nope yeah it was like there's the baby he's here you know and my husband's just beaming because he got his son and yeah it was cool so then how did that extended postpartum time like change your family dynamic or compare to your previous births? Was there anything significant in that respect? I feel like my husband kind of understood more because he went through it with me, you know, before it was like, he went back to work. And um, this time, because he did it, he was like in it, you know, he knew the extreme of it all. And, um, and so it just felt, I guess, more calm and at peace, more safe, and that our whole family was connected, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely does. You are all there to experience it. Birth can do that. I mean, it's transformative. It can form new yep. connections that you didn't even realize were missing in the first place. Yep. So then my last question, for any moms that are maybe on the fence or considering having a home birth after having a cesarean or just exploring different options. Is there anything that you would tell them or any advice or anything that you've learned from your own journey so far? Um, just that it's something that no one can ever explain to you and will be the most amazing experience of your life. And um, anyone considering feedback no interventions at all, which is a hard thing to embrace that pain, but it's so worth it. It is so worth it to be connected and feel safe and be with your baby and not be where someone else has put you in, in a place of fear and um, trauma, just from my own experience, but that, um, that you can do it. No matter what any doctor tells you, your body is completely capable. Um, both of my babies were bigger than my first. My third one was a sunny side up. He was bigger than my first baby and he was born just fine in less time, healthy, happy. And the recovery was so much easier without any interventions, without the epidural, with everything, you know, it, the recovery process was amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm so glad I got to do it. And I love that you're doing this. It's amazing. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Home Birth After Cesarean podcast. 
Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you're interested in sharing your home birth after cesarean story, send us an email at hbacpodcast at gmail.com. See you next week.